Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. All right, guys, welcome to the Pope and Young Podcast. Tim and I are joined by special guest um archery's hidden gem is what i call him um one of one of um well we'll just say it one of the best looking guys in archery uh we've got neil bice the third who is the 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 director of operations there in gainesville florida at the bear archery factory um but neil what we really want to talk about is kind of just not only the rich history that that is bear archery, but you have been there since you were 19 years old. Um, you were, well, right. you're one of Fred bears last living students. Um, so you have been in the industry throughout all the change and all the innovation and everything that, you know, took place with the development of the takedown and the compounds being introduced. So we just wanted to talk about kind of the history of archery and how you've seen things change over the years. Uh, but before we jump in, give us an introduction to yourself and, and kind of your history there at bear. Well, thanks. I, I, the first piece is, is I'm glad you didn't want me to really talk about my good looks, like you said. But um, well, that but, doesn't need to be talked about. They're watching you, so they you don't have to even mention uh, that. It's yeah. Well, anyways, um, it's a pleasure to be on today. My name is Neil Bice. Um, I'm a third uh, third generation Neil Bice. So my dad worked for Bear Archery for 32 years. I've worked for Bear Archery for 45 years. Um, I was, uh, I met Mr. Bear when I was seven years old and, uh, at a company picnic. And of course I had the, you know, ability to see him throughout, uh, some of my younger years. And then 
started working for Bear in, in uh, 1977 and uh, went to college for a year and then started working for Bear in 1978. And I've been there ever since. So um, had a brief stint where I went back to Michigan for about a year. And uh, but other than that, have worked for Bear Archery. So um, had a, had the ability to work for Mr. Bear on the Signature Bow Project, which was in the early 80s. Uh, that's the one with the uh, gold sockets and, uh, you know, Brazilian or Bolivian, excuse me, East Indian rosewood and uh, ebony stripes, African ebony stripes on it. But real, real nice project to be working on. And then uh, got involved in compound bows and uh, built, uh, was a supervisor of the assembly area of compound bows for a good number of years. And then you know, worked my way up through the ranks uh, at Bear Archery and uh, did did a number of different things, almost everything here that we do. Um, but uh, yeah, so long, long history, was able to work with, you know, Mr. Bear, um, Bill Stewart, got Gary Simons, um, and uh, of course, my dad, my, my dad, Neil Bice Jr. So now just so everybody knows, you are sitting in Mr. Bear, Papa Bear, the chief, that's his office. That was his office uh, that you now call your office. Yeah, I call it Mr. Bear's office. It is it is the <laughs> office I reside in. Um, but yeah, I, I'm privileged to be able to be setting in here. Uh, there was a, quite a while where, you know, this office sat vacant and uh, um, I would use it for inspiration for some of the projects that we'd work on, mostly the traditional projects because you know, that's where Mr. Bear really uh, flourished in the industry and everything. Obviously, he supported the compound and, and everything archery. But, uh, of course, he flourished in the traditional side. And, uh, you know, all the stuff that he used to have in here when, when the museum sold it went away with him. But, you know, the, the paneling still the same. Um, and the walls and, the, and, and everything in here are an inspiration. So I used to... Um, Prior to moving in here, I had a big table in here and we'd have some meetings in here trying to inspire people. Yes, what are we here for? It's about archery. Yeah, we're bear archery and we want to survive as a company and we want to do things that uh, make us make the, the iconic company that we are more of a legacy for many more generations to come. So it's an inspiration, uh, but it's also you know, I've tried to put some artifacts and some things that I've collected over the years to make it look somewhat like uh, Mr. Bear's office. Of course, I got a, a lot more paperwork stacked up on my deck <laughs> right now. But but nonetheless, you know, Mr. Bear really um, took to heart some of the, the artifacts and, and gifts that people gave him over the years that were based on friendships of people in our tree and relationships that uh, help grow the sport of archery so that's uh that's what we try to do here well now, i'd like to ask um 35 years later since fred bear passed um how many people that worked there in gainesville besides yourself had the privilege to work with him at all are, th are there any oh yeah yeah oh, okay um, so we have, uh, it's, it's uh, a unique situation. We have, I think there's four people besides myself that have 40 years plus here at the, at the facility. And then we have several with more than 35 years. So 
uh, Tammy Merricks, Yen Morrow, um, Liz Petrie, um, uh, some of them are obviously are women. Um, and but then Mike Latimer, Dick Latimer's son, Dick Latimer was the president of the ATA for a number of years, but he also was the um, leading marketer for Bear Archery in the uh, mid to late 60s and through the 70s and 80s. And then he he's, took a job with the, which at the time was the AMO, was pre, prior to the ATA uh, changing its name from AMO, Archery Manufacturers Organization, to the Archery Trade Association. So Dick Latimer headed that up and was the president of that for years. And so Mike's, his son, uh, the two of us graduated in high school together. So oh, we're, wow. we're, we're, we've known each other for a long time. So so with that, um, knowing that there's people there that, that have a, a memory and a, and a passion for bear that, that came from Fred himself, I'm just curious to, to think, you know, what is the the atmosphere like? Is it still very similar to how it was? And and more importantly to me, you know, if Fred were here, what would he think of the company, archery? What would he think of, of hunting today, you know? Yeah, well, I uh you're asking quite a bit there in in one sense, but when you look at the people in the atmosphere, the ones that knew Mr. Bear. Obviously, he treated everybody with uh, compassion and uh, uh, friendliness that uh, was, you know, no matter who you were, if you're working at the factory and you were working in the business, that you were a family. And and he always had that uh, um, air about him that he welcomed people. So he'd walk up to you and, and you know, the more you got to know him, the friendlier he got. And, the, and he'd even... Uh, you know, just try to get comical with you in one way or another, telling you a joke or, you know, something that was uh, just getting you to loosen up that um, he wanted to talk with you. And so uh, when you look at the number of folks that we have here that um, are that had, you know, some form of relationship with them, they try to pass that on. We still have some signs here in the facility that were um, some of his you know, one-liners that uh, talk about the company and, you know, like the the customer is the main reason we exist and a number of things that just remind us of some of the things that are important for a business to survive, but also what are we trying to do? So the people that are, that are, that have been here that long, um, most of the time, they're really trying to coach people into, you know, understanding who, who Fred Bear was, because if you think about it, you know, Mr. Bear passed in 1988 and a lot of the folks that we employ now weren't, uh, might not even have been born uh, in that time frame. So, um, but, you know, I think it comes across when you look at a company that's been around and you do have a number of folks that have been with the company since it opened the doors here in Gainesville in 1978, um, that uh, people catch on to that. And, you know, not everybody does. And, you know, the, the thing that we try to do is get people to understand archery and, and that's a, a piece. Um, the, what, what would Mr. Bear think? I, I, you know, in my mind, Mr. Bear was an in innovator and uh, I don't think many people can argue with that. I think he was a marketer and I've 
believe that most people who knew who Fred Bear was would understand in the times that he developed archery and what he did to uh, develop films and get people to watch hunts and get involved in archery and and go and do it, having a great time. Um, I think people uh, or he tried to do things that would get people involved and then and then the other pieces of I don't know what would he think he was a hunter okay he loved to hunt he loved to fish he liked to be out in the outdoors he just wanted people to get out in the outdoors and experience the things that he could he was able to experience and and so what would he say I think archery and and uh what people get to experience today is phenomenal and I think you know if he was setting up there he would say I had uh, I had a lot to do with influencing people getting out and hunting and um you know when the compound first came out um mr bear supported archery you know how do we get more people involved in archery and although you know he still um pretty much used a, a recurve bow at the time he still wanted people to get involved in archery and and uh you know there's always those choices that people make and everything but i don't I don't believe he drew a line in the sand and said, hey, you're not an archer if you're using a, a recurve or you're not a, you know, a real hunter unless you're using a compound, whatever argument somebody might have. I think he just wanted people to be involved in archery. And that's that's really our philosophy. What can we do to get people involved in archery? What can we do to be cost conscious? That was one of the things that Mr. Bear always tried to do. You know, how can you improve your methods to keep the price uh, down on products so that you can get everybody and as many people as you can involved in archery, whether it be youth, whether it be, um, target, whether it be, you know, hunting or just recreational shooting, um, you know, what type of archery do you like? It doesn't really matter as long as you're trying to get a stick and string or a compound in somebody's hand and get them shooting. And I think if Mayor, Mr. Bear was looking down at some of the things that we're doing as a company, Escalade owns us. I think um, Escalade values Bear Archery as an iconic company and recognizes the things that Mr. Bear did is really iconic in the industry uh, and values Bear Archery. And really, I think Mr. Bear would be proud of uh, a lot of what we do. You know, everybody makes errors in life. And Mr. Bear would tell you that he's... He, he made a few too when it come to even some of his product designs and stuff. But you know what? You you look you got to look to the future and uh, try to move forward and and uh, put the bad stuff behind you and put the good stuff in front of you and remember the good stuff. Well, and you know I think it's it's definitely no secret to everybody that you know I have a close working relationship with the guys at Bear and and I have said several times that I believe. Fred would be very proud of Bear Archery because they've remained that that company that wants to be inclusive. Um, you know, when when Bear puts out a new catalog, I can look at that and find a new bow for my four year old, my six year old, my twelve year old, my wife, myself, my dad. New recurves, new compounds, super inclusive um, at every price point. You know, I can find new bows for myself at a four hundred dollar price point or a twelve hundred dollar price point. And so I think Fred would be proud of that, but I also think you'd be proud of the way that the factory is ran and the way the, the company is itself is ran. Um, cause Tim, he's downplaying it. I mean, they have 120 employees there. And when I toured the factory with him, Neil went to every single person and called them by their first name. 
Hey, Mike, how are you this morning? Hey, Bill, how are you this morning? Hey, Gary, how are you this morning? And about the 10th person he did it to, I was like, man, he knows every single one of these people. And uh, I didn't mention that to him uh, when I was there, but I noticed that. And then I, I get back home and I'm having a conversation with the guys from Identical Draw who were there just, you know, a couple weeks before me. And and uh, they said, dude, one thing I noticed is that Neil knew everybody by their first name. And I was like, I, I noticed that too. And, uh, and so I just think, I think the history and tradition that is there, um, and the way that you guys represent archery and the way that you guys carry yourselves, I do think Fred would be very proud. Uh, I also think you'd be very proud to see that everything is still made in the United States of America. Um, compounds, recurves, everything is dude. Every recurve Tim is handmade right there. They start with a block of wood and make it into a bow. Every recurve. And and I think that would, he would be very proud of that, um, that you guys have kept everything um, in the United States. And so I do think he'd be very proud. Do you uh, was there any kind of pushback at all on the compound from from Fred? I mean, did he did he ever, you know, not want to get into to the, the production of them because he is a traditional guy or I mean, well, was there I, that at all? No, I think I think at the time. Of course, I wasn't sitting uh, at Bear Archery at the time, but I know that my dad worked with uh, him, uh, Mr. Bear and Norm Groner and a few of the other guys that were in research and development. And, um, you know, I think it was more of the fit and finish that Mr. Bear was. I think from day one, I'm not really sure that he was like, I'm a compound guy. I don't really, you know, you look at some of the first ones are like, oh, my gosh, why would I even touch that? But. But nonetheless, you know, uh, you know, Bear Archery came out with the Alaskan in 1975, and it was a sleek-looking uh, compound bow, and only 30% let off. And you know, I think some of that stuff, um, I think Mr. Bear could appreciate. But when you have the skills that he had with a recurve, and you take and use a compound, and uh, you know, people weren't using releases at the time. There was. The release wasn't even on the on the books really at that time. Um, everybody was still shooting fingers, and uh, you know I just he didn't speak against it. I mean, you see him on a couple couple of the covers of some of the like archery um, archery catalogs that we produce for for the manuals and stuff like that with Mister Bear holding a, a compound and all that, and he shot them, tested them, and uh, so. Was he against them? No, I think he understood that each step of archery, there's going to be another step and it's going to be, you know, that was a major one. It was a major transition. And, and um, you know, there's a lot of folks that said, well, he didn't really like them. Well, I never heard Mr. Bear say that to me. And I'm on the cover of the 1984 catalog um, with Mr. Bear holding a compound bow. Um, and so... I mean, plenty of opportunities, but he was always about the company and how to grow archery. And if it wasn't necessarily for him, he's not going to just speak badly about it. And if somebody was talking with him and he was like, well, do you shoot one? He might have said, no, I don't shoot one. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't shoot one. Um, yeah. So, you know, I guess it, it it went back to, I think it goes back to, um, uh, you know, what is your preference in archery? As long as you're getting out in the field, as long as you're going out there and experiencing archery, doesn't really matter what you're shooting. So, well, that's what more people, 
more people need to learn that from from Papa from Papa Bear himself that just because somebody shoots a different brand or a different style or whether they shoot fingers or releases or compounds or recurves or long bows or self bows, it's archery, man, and we need to stick together. Uh, fun fact that that first Alaskan that you mentioned, uh, that was the first bow, Tim. This is a fact for you. That was the first bow that Chuck Adams shot his first Pope and Young animal with. And now today wow. Chuck shoots the remake of the Alaskan that came out last year. Um, he's, he, he, when he came to Barry, he said, I got to shoot the Alaskan. Cause that was the first bow. It's namesake was the first bow I ever shot. My first Pope and Young, I think it was a moose, uh, my first Pope and Young animal with. And so, um, that's still what he's shooting today is that Alaskan. Of course, it's much more advanced now and, a lot faster, a lot quieter, a lot lighter, but um, yeah, that's uh, that was a fun fact there. Yeah, I mean the Alaskan was a, I mean in my mind it was still a laminated limb. You know, it had fiberglass laminated with wood, and it had a aluminum riser and bare archery. It already well they had magnesium then, excuse me. Um, so it was a mag riser and it was nice and slim and sleek like the original A and B risers were. So it wasn't very much different than a B riser, uh, takedown riser that was with the limbs attached to it. And of course you had the, the cables on them and it was a, a pulley system and it had a, uh, where you adjusted the cables. It had like a T handled Allen wrench that went in there and it click and you could adjust the cables and increase your draw length and stuff like that. But again, those first boat, those first compounds were only like 30% let off and you know, gravitated 50% pretty quickly after that. But um, nonetheless, you know, they were pretty light and they were, I don't know, I think I think the Alaskan was maybe 48 inches long, somewhere in there. I, I don't recall exactly, but it's pretty close to that. So they weren't like really short bows like they are today. Our compounds are, you know, in the sub 30s, I guess, you know, for the most part for people that are hunting. Um, you know, the tournament guys are still shooting ones that are over 35 inches, but most hunters are using bows that are between 30 and 35 inches long, axle axle. And, uh, you know, it suits their needs. It's a, it's uh, good for tree stands and, you know, probably a large percentage of the population uses tree stands and, and, um, you know, even if you're in ground blinds, you know, or in blinds, shorter the bow you have, the better, the better maneuverability you have. And when you're using those, so when you're shooting a recurve bow, you know, you, you have something that might be 60, 55 to 65 inches long recurve or long bow, you know, and somewhere in there. And so it's a, it's, it's a different, it's a different type of game and in, in the quarters that you can be in, you know, so some of the blinds are, might be too small for somebody with a recurve. So it's uh, fun to use all that stuff though. Speaking of, um, very specific bows that that are both historic and and uh and brought back I, I don't know if that's if you brought back the alaskan so much as as it's just been there forever um you've brought back the kodiak it's the super kodiak i've been reading about this because dylan's trying to get me into shooting a traditional bow and what's what's the significant either improvement or difference from the one, the series that you're doing now versus from the past is what, what is the improvement or is it, or is it really going back to a very similar um, design and, and component? So um, 
In in 2012, we asked, or it was it was before that that we asked our customers. We went to a bunch of the traditional shows: Etar, Compton, um, Howard Hill, um, and some of the others traditional only shoots that were around. We're talking about traditional bows here. And we said, which bow, if we were bringing, if we were going to bring one back, because if you look out there, bear archery uh, bows from the past are highly collectible. And uh, even, even some of the more recent, they're just collectible. Okay. And, and people are still shooting some of the bows from the fifties and sixties out there that in, in seventies out there. And, and one of the bows that came up, number one uh one of the bows that came up was the was a kodiak now there's been several iterations of the kodiak because what bear what mr bear did was he would just you know change the design of it and there was still a kodiak and there was still a kodiak um so the the kodiak name has been around since the early 50s and uh so um the 1959 kodiak is the one that kind of stuck with everybody. And the reason is there's a few things that changed in 1959 with uh, bear archery. And one was the inclusion of exotic woods. Prior to 1959, almost everything was walnut and maple uh, with fiberglass glued to the limbs, but mostly those materials. And then in 1959, uh, there was Brazilian uh, rosewood, purple heart, you know, and some other types of babenga and some other types of wood uh, that were um, imported so that they could make them out of a, a more uh, luxury looking type of material. And so when you uh, then in 1959, it's also the same year that Mr. Bear uh, created his a logo in a, in a in the medallion that gets put in every one of the bows. So that year, that bow, not only was it really, really nice to look at and pretty handsome bow, but it also shot really, really well. And so it's a pretty comfortable bow. So that bow, uh, 1959 Kodiak, we now reproduce. We started reproducing it back in 2012. And um, it's really, really, uh, it's a really nice shooting bow. So other, the the difference is, is, that the layout of the bow is the same on the 59 Kodiak. The materials are slightly different. One, uh, you know, the current model is a little bit different. We've just changed some colors. But when we reintroduced it, we used Purple Heart. It was an I-beam construction. Okay, so that means that we took two pieces of uh, Bolivian rosewood, not Brazilian rosewood, but sandwiched them between a piece of, uh, or, or, around um, purple heart so the middle of the bow was purple heart so that when you cut the sight window out you had this reveal of the purple heart in the sight window yet both sides were bolivian rosewood and then the face and the back of the riser we put a strip of purple heart on it so it was pretty decorative riser when in the in the makeup of it and then we matched the colors uh, of the glass from 1959 there was two different colors the face side was a caramel color and the back side of the bow away from you was a, a reddish dark brown uh, color. And then, of course, we put a cap on it and a leather grip on it and a feather rest, which if you haven't ever used a feather rest, it's they're, they're really cool to use. And so we pretty much tried to make it like a 1959 
except for we use modern materials. And um, so it's Mr. Bear's design. We make them on, the, you know, none of the tooling was uh, left from 1959. Um, so all the tooling had to be recreated and everything. With the exception of the machines, the presses that Mr. Bear used, not the actual form, but the presses. We still use those same presses that Mr. Bear designed uh, way back in the 50s and 60s. And, and we use Richardson's to do some of our grip shaping so that, you know, when you do a Grizzly, it's the same one. But, you know, in the 1959 was prior to uh, the, those machines and some of that stuff. But so really old techniques or but but highly reproducible techniques to give you, you know, a really nice shooting bow. Interesting. So that, That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Well, and some of the same techniques that were developed right there in Gainesville are some of the same techniques that most bowyers across the country still use. Um, so all those innovative things that, that Fred was doing, you know, most bowyers still are using those same techniques. Yeah, if you go back into the 19, uh, you know, 19, late 60s, early 70s, Mr. Bear had the Fred Bear Sports Club and they produced um, they produced uh, videos to send around a sports club. So that was part of the marketing is they produced these hunts and the videos and and all that, um, which was really, really good for the, the sports clubs around. And then he also produced one that was called Rural Route One, which he actually went into the factory and showed people how a bow was made. So if you were somebody that was like, how do you do that? You basically had a video that would go through. It didn't show you every little detail, but if you were a woodworker, you'd be able to figure it out. So Mr. Bear wasn't afraid of showing people how to do it. You know, it's one of those things where I want to get people involved in archery. And, you know, he had several patents over the years. One was the use of fiberglass on the, on the bow. That was a, that was Mr. Bear's patent. He didn't charge people patent or royalties for any of that kind of stuff. And like I've said in the past, you know, today you can't really do that. You need to make sure you protect your patents and royalties because uh, somebody will do something with it that might damage your business. But back in the day, Mr. Bear was like, yeah, you want to use fiberglass? Go ahead. Yeah, you want to do that? That that's fine. Go ahead. So, you know, he really, really wasn't afraid of his competition, and there was plenty of competition in in those days, also. So, um, really, um, you know, just do the right thing and move forward. Uh, so, you spoke uh, just briefly, and and we are aware of this as well. The the amount of value or collectability a lot of the bear products have. Um, we see it in our fundraising events. Anything that says Fred Bear, anything that has his photo, any old bow, any old anything, even if it's in mediocre condition, is highly sought after in our fundraising. We see it in social media. It's interesting. The honor of Fred Bear isn't just bear archery. It's You've got social media groups. Um, pages. You've got clubs that honor people with Fred Bear awards. You've got uh, shoots named after Fred Bear. Pope and Young has a society called the Fred Bear Society. A lot of honor is given to Fred. Was he, would he today 
be overwhelmed with that? Would he be proud of that? Uh, would it bother him? I, I, I'm trying to understand this personality um, outside of what I've read. Well, you know, um, I would say that uh, uh, he wouldn't be somebody that said, oh, I've earned this. I deserve this. He wouldn't be like that at all. But I believe that, you know, if you ever met him, that he was eloquent in whenever he would speak to groups of people. And he would make you feel like um, you're part of him. Uh, make you, he'd open his arm to you in a manner that would be in, in an individual, you know, uh, where, you know, he could, he could pick you out of a crowd and come over and start talking to you like he'd known you, you know, he'd try to get in your head a little bit about what are you thinking about archery? And, but, you know, when he, when he would speak, um, publicly when he'd speak to the employees. I don't know if he just had a uh, uh, natural uh, uh, grace for stuff like that, but as far as understanding people and, and wanting to be, you know, one-on-one uh, -on -one with people, um, I never, I'm sure that, um, I'm sure that in his lifetime that there was times when he wasn't happy with what people did. And I'm, I could tell you, you know, that uh, story about the blue stripe when he wrote No Blue Fred FBB on the riser, that he definitely was sending me a, a message that we're not going to put blue in that. Don't push it. I got the message, but it was like the conversation never happened. So there was, uh, you know, and, and I would say that, you know, if if he was getting an award uh, for like I seen a video that was from a sportsman's club in, in Michigan. It was the Holton Lake Sportsman's Club in Michigan. I seen that he got up and he spoke and he told this story. And if you ever get a chance to, to see it out there, it's a story about how uh, bow hunters don't know how to lie like fishermen or something like that. And uh, so, but he goes into this whole thing and he goes off and he's talking about stuff. And then he brings it all around full circle. And, and then they give him this plaque at the end and everything. And, um, uh, you know, everybody just wanted to shake his hand just because he got them on uh, or he was at their level, you know, or whatever, whatever way you want to bring that. Um, he was he was one of them and they could see themselves being able to go out and do that or having them same thought processes. The one thing that Mr. Bear had was uh the ambition to to keep on going when people wouldn't see that there was another two or three or four steps to go before you could get to that next plateau and i think somehow he figured it out and uh, uh and he went and did it you know if you if you work all day in a factory and you're looking for the weekend to to maybe get some rest and relaxation or get some things done around the house he was looking for I got to go out and get a hold of these other dealers and see what they think about this and try to move some product or get them how how many how many more bows do they need or am I are we meeting our delivery schedule or it, what do you think about the new stuff it was continuous it was uh you know and then and then trying to figure out where he's going to go hunt um, I'm going to go hunting at the same time I'm gonna go do all this stuff also. So amazing individual and involved in involved in some of the other wildlife projects that are out there. You know, he was a supporter of the Pittman Robertson Act and and stood up and brought that out, uh, tried to support it, 
but he also, you know, uh, uh, Trout Unlimited, he was a huge supporter and getting that all started also. Um, so uh, he was a fly fisherman on top of it. And that was one of his passions outside of, I guess you wouldn't call it outside of, because if you're a true sportsman, you have, uh, you know, you've got all those things in your, in your uh, basket. So, you know, like the, he liked to, you know, bird hunt and, you know, so that means he was using a, some type of shotgun of some type and, um, you know, just the whole, just the whole gamut. So, well, and that's what, um, you know, he was a massive supporter of Pope and Young. And like Tim said, you know, we have the, the Fred Bear Society. Well, the reason it's called the Fred Bear Society, that's our trust fund, is because he was the one that made the first massive donation to the trust fund. Um, so he was just a, a firm believer in, you know, not only representing archers well, but supporting conservation and pushing forward for, a, you know, to preserve bow hunting for future generations. Is it true that that Fred Bear smoked cigarettes, but he would never do it on camera or on film because he didn't want to represent hunting that way? Well, I'd, I'd lie to you that uh, if I told you he didn't smoke cigarettes because he did. You know, I've seen, I've had pictures of him smoking cigarettes and everything. Me personally, um, I would say, I, I would say I did see him smoke cigarettes before this, um, but... Nonetheless, you know, go back and look at all the rags of the time and the era and all that stuff. I mean, almost every, I, I would say not everybody smoked, but there was a huge campaign for, for, for cigarettes. Well, not, I don't remember who told me that, but, but, uh, I, I want to say it was, uh, Eichler. Um, but, but he was sharing that, you know, he cared so much about how he represented hunters and hunting as a whole that even though he smoked, he would never be seen on camera. Yeah. or on film or anywhere smoking because he didn't want to represent the hunting community that way. And I just thought, man, that's, that's powerful because yeah. not many people, I mean, so many people just do whatever they want and never think about how it represents us as hunters now. Well, I think, I think Dylan, you know, as a transition, when you look at, you know, Mr. Bear was born in 1902 and um, he lived through world war one and he lived through world war two. And, you know, things, things at that time were just different. Um, all the, all the stuff that you see, I was looking at a, I was going through some files the other day and, um, there's a old magazine from 1977, a, a sports illustrated, um, uh, from 1977 and it has a bare bow in it. All that's on it is the, um, you know, the picture of the bow and everything. And, and, uh, you know, not long after that, you know, cigarette smoking or people still smoke cigarettes. People have a choice to do what they want to do and that's all their choices. But I guess what I would say is all of the advertising. And if you look through magazines at that time, it's inundated with, you know, cigarette ads and everything. And there was a time when, a darn a, a huge amount of population openly did that uh, smoked um but nonetheless you know uh, that has become a thing where you know you don't want to groom people to smoke cigarettes and so advertising on cigarette commercials or or commercials geez just look at the tvc that's beyond you know that all was gone dylan probably 
when before you were born almost you know but nonetheless the the the, the whole community has changed on that as far as what you can do and what you can't do and uh he grew up in that time when you know it was very very popular to popular to smoke when i was in when i was in high school it was very popular to smoke and um, right after that and it wasn't very much longer after that it wasn't very popular to smoke but yet you know it's one of those things you're right that when he was with folks um the composure and the respect for all of that was was out there so that's awesome yeah what uh what what do you think neil what do you think the biggest innovation that changed archery you know, at its core, what do you think that big outside of the compound, but, you know, single innovation that really redirected the, the route that archery was going. Um, uh, you know, when, when I, when I look at, when I think about that, it's before I was born. I, I think that when Mr. Bear came up with the, the production techniques to build traditional bows and to add fiberglass to them so that they lasted as long as they have because if you just build a wooden a wooden bow and you use it a lot it's not going to last forever it's, but you put fiberglass on it and it's manufactured correctly with good techniques that thing can last gosh and like i said there's bows that people are shooting from the 50s out there and um you know they really put it to it so I think the, the the fiberglass on the bows is a was remains a big deal, big deal. Yeah. So, I what mean, do you see coming down the line, uh, twenty years from now? What are we going to see in the bow hunting equipment world, out of bear or out of anybody? What what can we expect? Are we going to see something mind blowing? I mean, technology is is surprising us in all facets of life. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, as, as far as, as far as the, uh, technology goes, I mean, really, I think it would be an out of the box type of deal that would have to be there that would be accepted. I, I believe that maybe there's some material like carbon's been used in some of the stuff and other than, light making it lighter and and a little bit stronger really doesn't improve the the speed like you know oh speed is this and that really i think um i think efficiency in the product is is going to be the you know how the ease of use of the products and everything and you know i've been involved with compounds you know since i started working at bear they made compounds and uh so I wasn't there, you know, I was a few years behind that. I was on the beginning edge of it. Um, but I think there's new, new things that we can, you know, we can dress out the compound bows to make them, you know, integral with some of the stuff that we use. And, uh, but at the end of the day, um, the next, the next piece would, you know, would have to be something that, um, it's really hard for me to imagine. I'm sorry, Tim, but uh well, yeah, that's why I ask. It seems yeah. like for 25 years that I've been shooting a bow. Yeah. 
speed has gone up maybe a hundred feet per second max. The weight of the bow maybe has gotten lighter. The efficiency, the smoothness has, but it hasn't, it hasn't, there hasn't been one gigantic leap. And there's always got to be things that you're fine tuning as, you know, the person in charge of day to day and, and, and everything that maybe you'll look back 20 years from now and say, wow, we did have a big change and maybe it won't be a big giant one year thing. But there's also that fear of technology in archery. There's also that keeping it what it is. Um, I think that's another testament to the bows that you made in the 50s and 60s that people are still shooting. They they want that. Um, it's a thing that we face here at Pope and Young, looking at technology in the archery world all the time and making decisions, making position, taking position on technology and and how it's used in in the world of bow hunting um i think one thing that that is on everybody's mind at pope and young all the time is what new thing is going to come out that's going to change it negatively but i'm really curious as to what maybe you think of that will change it positively yeah well you know if i look back um you know, there was first there was the the compound, and then it went from you know from thirty percent to fifty percent was a big deal, and then to sixty five percent was a significant. I mean, and they were still round wheels at that time, and then cams came out with modules to where a person wouldn't have to change the wheel; they could change the draw length by changing a module, and then and then but you still had this timing thing, and then. The one cam came out, which pretty much eliminated timing issues and stuff like that. And then it was groomed with modules on it. And, you know, so there's been steps all along the way. I just I look at where we're at today and I'm sure there's, you know, there's ideas of folks out there. I mean, I have ideas, but putting that to where it's a functional, where it's a really functional piece of equipment that actually pays out, you know, from a standpoint of development and investment and, and will that work? Will it be accepted? You know, and then you're, you're right. I mean, you can look at, you know, uh, things like, well, what if somebody has a range finder built in their bow? Well, it starts taking, you know, they already have a range finder and then they have to set their bow for whatever they're, now, if it's built into a bow, that is a piece of technology that could change the game to making things more accurate because, you know, where did they hold it? I mean, there's still that changeover factor in executing a shot and all that. So, and then, of course, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, the car was made, the car started being made in the late 1800s. And you know what? They're still rolling on four wheels. And uh, there's, and even though they're battery powered or they're gas powered or diesel powered, they're still rolling on full. They still have some kind of drivetrain. They still have a transmission. They've found ways to make that horsepower, you know, significant, <laughs> uh, scary, right? Um, I think that's kind of, I wouldn't say that's where we're at, at in our tree, but 
we're kind of close to that curve where you know there would almost have to be something that'd be different and and that probably to some folks could be could be maybe scary but i, I you know in all reality i think you're always going to have your traditional archer they're not going to there's always going to be that traditional guy and um there's there's so much room in the compound market there's man good manufacturers out there producing good product and um there's such a wide array of selections of the types of products and everything they essentially are pretty close to i'm not calling them the same but functionality wise they're pretty close to the same and um so um just really i think the thing that would benefit archery the most would probably be that the the the, the people like pope and young and or governing bodies, the ATA, really solidify archery um, in in its own, making sure that hunting is going to be there forever. For when I say forever, I I can't think that far out there, right? But but I mean, for me, archery doing what I can for Bear Archery as an iconic company, uh, the things that Mister Bear did. And being able to, you know, at some point when I'm no longer here, did I lay the groundwork to make sure there was enough of the cornerstone in the in the walkway for other people to take over and make sure that this company's still around in 50 years from now? Not that we're a fly-by-night company, but you know, Mr. Bear's been gone for quite a while now, right? And right. the company's still doing well. And and we have the ability to ride on uh, Mr. Bear's philosophies and stuff like that because that's really who we are. That's uh, what we believe in, and and that is, you know, we live vicariously through him. So, so let's get to that hunting side of things. Um, we're talking bear archery, but a vast majority of the customers, I would think, of bear archery are hunters. Um, what's your, what's your hunting outlook? What, what, what are you doing every year? Are you hunting every year? Are you so, or is bear archery too much time? Are you getting out there? <laughs> well, there's been, uh, you know, there's been years that I haven't actually, I wouldn't say I haven't hunted, but you know, to, 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 to do what I really like to do. Um, it's a limited time. It's a limited time for me. And, making time to go to Illinois or hunt here locally. Um, whether it be just be able to get out a few weekends to hunt turkeys or, um, or hunt whitetails. I haven't, <clears throat> I haven't hunted in Florida in a, in a number of years, but I've gone to Illinois and I've gone, you know, a couple different places in the, in the, and so, you know, I, I do have, some places that people have invited me to go and outstanding. And it's really about, for me, making sure that uh, I love to hunt. Let me just make that clear. And some of my experiences out hunting, um, bar none, um, are, are, are why I love to do what I'm doing. Because some of those experiences that I had, I can tell you that 
people can be in the woods a lot and never experience it. And so I've been fortunate to have some experiences that are amazing. It's, I put it like this, you know, there's golfers out there that golf all their life and never hit a hole in one. And then there's somebody that walks up <laughs> one of the first times they play and they hit a hole in one. And that doing that or having that experience, let me just say that, because the other guy that has never hit one, probably if he's a golfer, probably number one on his bucket list, right? Sure. So, but for me as a hunter, I've seen lots of big animals in the woods. I've missed my share. Um, um, I've, t- I've had, I've had the ability to harvest a couple. Um, and, but I've, I honestly, uh, there's nothing that measures up to the excitement I still have when I am able to draw back or even have the ability to have something close enough, even though I might not even get a shot to, to did you ever get to hunt with, did you ever get to hunt with Fred? No. And that's one of the things that, you know, that Tim alluded to, are you too busy? And so there was a time when, when, um, in 1987, um, had a chance to go to Grouse Haven. That was the last Grouse Haven hunt. And I was like, Oh, you know, you know, when archery season is, is when, uh, we launch our new products. And so I was the supervisor over compound. And I was like, I really can't afford to go. I got this deadline to meet on, on this stuff. And, you know, our fall depends on making sure that we meet those deadlines. So, um, you know, sometimes I hunt late December somewhere, um, might be where the rut's already passed or stuff, but you know, at the same time, opportunity, you just have to get in the woods. Opportunity will come. So I wasn't able to hunt with Mr. Bear. I passed up on that hunt. Like, like I think I said before, Dylan, some of the times when, you know, I had the opportunity to do things, it wasn't like, oh, this is the last time I'm going to be able to do that because Mr. Bear, right. I couldn't, I, that was the farthest thing from my mind, farthest thing from my mind. And as I've gotten older, that's a reality. You know, that yeah. you need to do something. You probably need to figure out how to get it done. If you really feel, uh, uh, if you really feel like you need to do something, do it earlier than later. Well, and that's why, you know, when I was down there, I told you, I made you take a picture with me and, and, uh, of course that beautiful bow that you made me, but you know, I, I want to cherish all those moments because you never know, you know, like just last year when Harv Ebers was inducted in the Pope and Young Hall of Fame, I'm like, can I take a picture with you, you know? Just because you never know when when is the last time, you know, um, and I want to be able to hold on to that. You know, uh, Harv was the first person that really taught me how to shoot a recurve. And so any chance I get, you know, I want to talk to him and just spend that time with him because you never know when that last chance is, you know. And so um, absolutely, man, I'm, I wish you would have got to go, though. Still. Stands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on, you know, um, I I had a conversation with Mr. Bear after that, and and it was personable. So, you know, it was like he said, well, this is the last year for Grouse Haven, but, you know, there'll be plenty of times for you to go hunting. And uh, and because I just had the conversation, I really would have liked to have gone, but we had this going because he'd come out on the floor on a regular basis and uh, just, you know, chat with me or just say a couple words. It wouldn't last very long, but, you know, so. You know, I mean, yeah, is there, 
everybody has regrets, but you can't think about those regrets. You got to move on and accept the responsibility that you, you know, the decision you made at the time and just try to, you know, know that if you have an opportunity in the future, make sure you think about it in the right, in the right way so that you make the right choice that you can live with, you know? So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So Neil, one question that we ask everybody is what's one non-traditional hunting item that you never leave home without that you always take in the woods with you can't be a bow or arrows or release or a finger tab but what's something non-traditional that you always take with you something that's non-traditional that i always take with me into the woods when i'm when i go into the woods that yeah can't something be part of my can't be a part of my hunting clothing or anything like that well if it's i mean not you can't say socks. Everybody wears socks, but you know, something, maybe it's something sentimental or maybe it's something, um, superstitious or, you know, anything like a, that. I have an old compass. That's one of the kind that's brass and it clips on the front of your coat. Although I never clip it on my coat. You know, I always have it with me because it was my dad's. Um, and, um, that's cool. You no, know, I never, it's there. So if I got lost in the woods, which, you know, it's pretty hard to get lost in, in the woods anymore, but you know, um, so, but it's something that, you know, he hunted with when he was young. And so that's just something. And then also a, a knife, even though it's not the one I have on my hip, but I always have it in my backpack. It's, uh, it's my backup knife. Right. But it's a yeah. knife I made in high school. Um, oh, wow. In a Very shop cool. class and it's a leather wrapped, uh, probably about eight and a half inches, but, uh, with a leather sheath. So, so anyways, it's, I carry that too. So. Awesome. Well, Neil, thank you so much for coming on, man. And sharing some of the rich history. We could go on and on telling stories. Wait a minute, we're questions. just getting started, aren't we? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Again, we could, we could talk for hours and, and I certainly want to, uh, you know, I told Tim, I, I would love to have you come to a Pope and Young convention and do, you know, a speaking engagement on archery history and Fred Bear history and 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 share that because people want to know that stuff. So um, we could talk for hours and keep asking questions and keep going down different paths. But uh, we do appreciate your time. And, and guys, um, again, Fred was a, a large supporter of Pope and Young. And, uh, you know, we appreciate everything he did for us in our early stages and and, you know, some of those guys have very fond memories of him and and meetings about Pope and Young and and how to preserve bow hunting. So um, now it's our job to to continue fighting for what he he believed in so much for. So, Neil, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, you have a fantastic week and thanks for listening. Thanks, Dylan. It's quite thanks. the honor. Quite the honor. Appreciate it.